truly believe there's an epidemic in America and it is lack of financial education because at no point in our educational system are we taught about money management and I think that is a big mistake. So if I can continue to make finance fun and easy to learn about, that's how I want to change people's lives. Rachel Richards was fortunate to have sought out a financial education from an early age. She graduated debt-free from a private university, then began the process of saving and investing. Having now accumulated enough monthly passive income to be financially independent, Rachel was able to leave her job recently to focus on continuing to build her investment portfolio and teaching others how to follow in her path. By the way, Rachel is only 27 years old. If that gets your attention, be ready for her story and her tips here today. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome, everybody. My guest today is Rachel Richards. Uh, Rachel is a former financial advisor, professional speaker, and best-selling author of the book, Money Honey, A Simple Seven-Step Guide for Getting Your Financial Shit Together. I love that, by the way. And we can say that on this show because it's my show. And uh, Rachel was a Cutco rep for four years. And she went to college at Center College in Kentucky, graduated in three years at age 20, debt-free. And she has recently been able to quit her full-time job due to multiple passive income streams, particularly from rental properties that she has. She's only 27 years old. She's been featured in articles on The Penny Hoarder and The New York Times. And one of the cool things about Rachel and about her book is she makes the topic of money management fun entertaining and simple. You'll find that out throughout this conversation today. Rachel, I appreciate you being on. Thanks, Dan. I'm so excited to be here. This is awesome what you're doing. So thank you for having me. Yeah, great. Well, I appreciate you being here and I really look forward to a great conversation today. Let's begin by just talking about uh, how you got started with Cutco Vector. So if you could take us back to when you started and, and how that unfolded, I'd love to hear that first. Sure. So I started in 2010. This was the summer after I graduated from high school. And I had already read all these financial books. I knew a lot about money. So I was already pretty good with money management. And I had this big goal of paying for college without taking out student loans. I was kind of afraid to take out loans. So that was my goal. I really wanted to pay my way through school. 
The only thing is, is that there aren't a lot of jobs that are available to high school students that pay well enough to pay for college tuition. So I got a letter in the mail in June of 2010, went in for an interview with Cutco, and I started on June 19th or 20th. I was Louisville's first 10K fast starter. Nice. So that was pretty awesome. Yeah. And in that summer, I think I had about 11 weeks that summer where I was selling. I sold about $30,000 that summer. So that was my first summer with Cutco. And then I spent, I think, five summers with Cutco. I was the head assistant manager one summer. I was the pilot sales manager for Dave Powders, who is the division manager in the TKO division at that time. Wow. That's great. So five summers. So your first summer, you sold thirty thousand. You earned ten grand right out of the gate in that first summer, and then you spent some time in management and continued to sell all throughout your college career. Tell us about some of the experiences that you had that provided lessons for you. Just what were some of those lessons that you've taken with you since then? For sure. So this is my first sales job, as it is for many college students that sell with Cutco. One of the things I learned pretty quickly is that you have good days and you have bad days with sales. So I'll have a day where you know I set up six appointments. I make a sale on every single appointment. Everything's going well. All my customers love me. And then the next day, I'll have six appointments, but two of them will be no-shows. Two of them will cancel. Then I'll have a no-sale. And then on the last appointment, I'll break some lady's um, glass frog sitting on the coffee table, <laughs> which is a true story. <laughs> so those days are a lot tougher. It's hard to get used to it. That can be difficult at first for people. But in the end, it made the job challenging and exciting for me. And I liked knowing, not knowing what was going to happen on a day-to-day basis. Another thing I learned is not to take things personally. <laughs> and that's something I'm still working on to this day. Just because someone says no to knives doesn't mean they're saying no to me. At the end of the day, you know, their decisions and actions have nothing to do with me personally. So I've carried that with me. It's something I'm still working on because I tend to be a sensitive person. So, you know, something I still try, try not to take things personally. Yeah, that's a great insight. There's a book, you've probably heard of it, The Four Agreements. I love uh, that book. Don Miguel Ruiz. Yeah. And uh, it's such a simple little book, and but it's it's like deceptively simple. And one of the four agreements, of course, is don't take things personally. And when I read that in the book, it, it just hit me in a new way that I had never really experienced before. And what I think it opened up for me is the ability to to receive negative feedback of some sort, whether it be rejection or just somebody telling me, I don't, I don't like how you did that or mm-hmm. you know, whatever it might be to receive any sort of negative feedback in a whole new way where I stopped feeling like I, it stopped hurting me and it started making me feel like, Hey, I, I'm gaining an awareness here. I learned something new here. This was valuable to me. Exactly. And it was like a paradigm shift completely that I got just from, you know, reading a, section in that little book right there that on that topic of not taking things personally. And it's cool that as Cutco reps, you know, we got to experience, you know, some level of rejection and some level of failure on a regular basis, which I think does help you in that area to to overcome some of the bigger things that might come your way. Tell me more about some of the experiences and lessons that you've had uh, during your time with Cutco. I think one of the things I learned when I was a college student, I learned the importance of standing out as a college student because a bachelor's degree, everyone has one these days. So it used to be, you know, your friends, your family would tell you, you know, go get a bachelor's degree. You're going to get a really good, secure, high paying job. But that, that's just not the case anymore. You know, times have changed. 
You need a lot more than that now. You need to set yourself apart on an even, even higher level. So one of the reasons I was so grateful for Cutco is because I had that experience with selling and interviewing and training representatives. And I really stood out from my peers. I had five job offers before I even graduated from college. Wow. That's fantastic. I think it's great for everybody to hear that, whether you're in Cutco or whether you're someplace else, you know, doing things to help distinguish you from your competition, from your peers is certainly a critical way of getting the attention of the marketplace. And, and I think that's a, that's a really, really good point. Who are some of the people who had the most impact on you during your time with Cutco? Oh gosh. Um, I could name a hundred people and just go on and on for the next 10 minutes. You know, some people that come to mind, Scott Dennis, Jeff Gamboa, Kate Arbuthnot, Hal Elrod, John Roman, awesome people. But I will zoom in on two people in particular that had a big impact on me. The first person I got to know was Joe Hood. And he was the district manager in Louisville, Kentucky. So he was my first manager. He helped me sell $30,000 that first summer. So I will forever be grateful to him for that. Secondly, Dave Powders is one of the most amazing people I know. He taught me so much. He really shaped who I am, probably more than he even realizes. I still think about things that he taught me to this day. And more importantly, when I made really big, bad mistakes and embarrassed myself, Dave looked past that and he continued to support and believe in me. And that just made, that made a big impact on me. It's incredible what a person can do when someone truly believes in them. So Dave Powders had a, had a huge impact on me for sure. Yeah, that is great. Of course, I get to work with Dave regularly out here in the West now. So I know exactly what you mean about the qualities that Dave brings to the table. He is a person who I really believe people would want to follow. And, and that's a key to great leadership, you know, is why would people want to follow you? Why would they want to, you know, to let you take them to where, uh, where you're going? and come along with you for the ride. And, and Dave is one of those people that I think exhibits a lot of the qualities, characteristics, and integrity that, uh, that help people want to do that. So you went to college for three years. You graduated in three years as a 20-year-old, and you graduated debt-free. What were some of the keys to making that happen? I would say there's two main things that enabled me to do that. Number one, I started working towards this in high school. This was a goal that I had early on. So during high school, I tried to be as impressive as I could possibly be in all areas, sports, academics, extracurriculars, because I knew it would help me get college scholarships. And I also took as many AP classes as possible so that I had credits going in. So I went to Center College it's a private liberal arts school, and it cost about $40,000 a year when I went there. Because of my AP classes, I went in as a second semester freshman, and I also earned scholarships that covered about $30,000 of tuition. So that was like 75% of the cost. So I only had to make up the other $10,000. So that's the first thing. Number two is that I found a high-paying job <laughs> selling Cutco knives. Like I said, you know, when I graduated high school, I was discouraged, scared, because I had no idea how I was going to pay for college tuition. I thought about my normal job. I, I worked at American Eagle in high school, and I was making $200 every paycheck, and I was just doing the math, and that's just, it wasn't going to cut it no matter how many hours I put in. So that's why finding Cutco was so brilliant for me, because I could control my earnings level. And it was the first time I'd been exposed to a job where the harder you work, the more you get paid. And mm -hmm. I was just so excited because I knew that I could 
outwork anybody and I could work hard enough to make that 10 grand. So that was also key for me. It's so awesome to be in a place where you can do that, where you have that control over your income. And, uh, and ultimately, you know, life works that way for people who are entrepreneurial and seek out those types of opportunities where you can be in control of what you're doing. And uh, based on your skill set and your work ethic, you can increase your income. You can continually grow your skills or, uh, you know, increase your work ethic or work smarter. And uh, in that process, you can continually grow your income. And, and it's so cool to have that experience as a young person. And clearly you took advantage of it. Not everybody does. Ooh, you, know, yeah. you, you took advantage of it. Wh- why do you feel like you were so motivated as a young person to actually make that happen? You know, it's all about your why, your motivation. I had this enormous why and I didn't want to graduate with debt. You know, based on what I learned, people took, often took decades to pay off their student loans. It makes it really hard to save money, you know, especially if you're not making a lot of money after college. So it was almost like this fear that I had. And I was like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to graduate without debt. And that's why I was able to sell so much Cutco is because I focused on that goal every single day. And that's what motivated me. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Tell us about your path after college. Yeah. So after college, the first job I took was as a financial advisor. And by this point, I thought this was going to be the perfect career path for me because it was helping people with money and financial management, which I love to do. And it was also sales, which I knew I was good at. So that's why I went into financial advising. It turns out though, I finally realized I actually didn't love sales. I could be good at it, sure, but it was exhausting for me. It it didn't really come naturally to me. So it's not something I wanted to do for a career. So from there, I went on to take a couple jobs here and there in the real estate industry. Um, That kind of opened my eyes up to real estate investing. I got my real estate license and that taught me a lot where later I would use that knowledge to start investing in real estate. So that was an important step. At the time, I felt like you know, I'm overqualified for this, or this isn't what my career path is supposed to be. I'm supposed to be in finance. But now looking back, it's an amazing thing that I had that experience at that time in my life. So that was a really good stepping stone for me. And then I finally landed a corporate finance job at a global manufacturing firm in 2016. So that's where I had been for the last three years. Okay. And what were you doing there? I was a finance analyst on a product team. So just doing analysis, forecasting, stuff like that. Okay. And you literally just left that in the last one month or so, right? Yes. Yes. Almost exactly a month ago, I finally quit my job and considered myself retired or you know, self-employed, financially independent, however you want to put it. So pretty exciting. Yeah. And you were able to do that because you've built a passive income stream of some 10 grand a month or something like that through rental properties and a few other things, right? That's right. So passive income has been a really big focus for me the past couple of years. I think I first heard this term a couple of years ago. Passive income is income that is earned with little to no work. So most people make active income. They go into their job every day, they spend their time, you know, nine to five, and then they earn a paycheck. Mm-hmm. So that's active income. Passive income is money earned with little to no work. So as an example, royalties would be passive income. If you think of JK Rowling, you know, she wrote the Harry Potter books 25 years ago, but she's still making money off the writing that she did 25 years ago. So that's an example of passive income. 
Another one is landlords who own rental properties. They collect rent every month and generally they have a monthly cash flow that they keep as profit. Normally it only takes a few hours a month of work or maintenance. And if you have a property manager, then that's when it's really passive. Right. So I kind of had this epiphany a couple years ago. It seems obvious now, but I thought if you have enough passive income to cover your expenses, then aren't you retired? You know, you can quit your job, you'd be financially independent. So that's what my husband and I started working towards. We bought our first rental property, a duplex in 2017, and we bought another one that year and kept aggressively acquiring properties. We now have five properties and we have 35 units, 35 doors total. And then I also make royalties off my first book. And then we have another passive income business as well. So (laughs) lots going on. But at some point last year, we finally hit that sweet spot. Our passive income more than covered our expenses. We got to the $10,000 a month mark, which was a huge achievement for us that we're really proud of. And that was a cool feeling because all of a sudden we were going into work because we wanted to, not because Mm -hmm. we had to. And that changed a lot. It still took me a full year to actually quit my job because, you know, that's a really big, scary change. But yes, I finally quit about a month ago. So now I am retired. So I get to spend (laughs) my time doing what I'm passionate about. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, that's awesome. Really, really cool. So you accumulated five units, five five properties, properties, but it's Mm -hmm. 35 units. These are multi-unit complexes, small apartment complexes. Yes. Mm -hmm. What was the first one? It was a duplex, you said? Yeah, the first one was a duplex in 2017. Did you live in half? We did not. We bought it as an investment property. So something that Andrew and I are fortunate to have is that neither of us had student debt. So I graduated debt-free because of Cutco. Andrew is a veteran and he had military benefits. So he used those to pay for college tuition. So we didn't have debt. And then we both had pretty good, you know, lucrative jobs and we were both good with our money. So, you know, given all those factors, it didn't take us long to have a decent amount set aside in savings. And that's what we used to buy that first duplex. I think the total price was $93,000 to buy it, but we did a loan. So we put 20 or 25% down on that duplex. Great. And for people who live in areas where there are no $93,000 properties, Mm -hmm. they can buy rentals in other places, right? Like, would you recommend that to somebody? Like people live here in the Bay Area, you know, 93,000 isn't even the down payment for (laughs) a condo where I live, you know, like there are no condos under say 500,000 basically here in San Jose. But for somebody who's growing up at a place like this or lives in a place that's more expensive or in, you know, one of the big cities, like the idea of finding an area that could be a good opportunity and beginning to accumulate rentals in that area where you're not biting off more than you can chew the first time. To me, that seems like a really great idea. Is that something you feel like you'd recommend? Yeah, long-term landlording. I think it's a great way, especially if you live in the Bay Area or New York City, You know, some of these places that are just exorbitantly expensive. It's going to be hard to find a good investment property there. So you can look in other markets and be a long-distance landlord. Are most of your properties right near you in Kentucky? They are. They're here in Louisville, Kentucky, so we can drive to all of them. But my husband and I are planning on moving out to Colorado soon or out West. So at that point, we will become long distance landlords. So we're, you know, we're setting up maintenance people, property managers and whatnot. And it's, it's something that's very doable even from, you know, across the country. So 
even if you're in a high cost of living area, I still think you can get into investing. And Dan, something that you kind of asked me about is you asked if I lived in one of the units in that first duplex. So that's a great question. That's kind of something called house hacking. And house hacking is where you buy a multifamily property and then you live in one of the units. And the great thing about that is then it's considered your primary residence. So you don't have to put 20 or 25% down as a down payment. You could even then qualify, if you can, you can qualify for an FHA, a VA loan, or even just a 10% down payment. And that can also make it more affordable and easier to get into real estate investing. Right, for sure. So that's a way also that you know somebody can uh, be able to afford you know a property that has more than one unit. Because I think a lot of people, when they think about getting their first property, they think about, well, you know, let me just get a small condo for myself. But if they could find a way of parlaying what they have into a duplex instead of a small condo for themselves or a triplex, you know, then they're able to live in part of it. And the renters in the other parts are paying for a large portion, in some cases, all of the mortgage. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's exactly. just such a sensible way for a young person to get started in, in real estate ownership and then be able to take that into something bigger and better down the yeah. road. I think there's so many tips that you could give young people about how to start this process. Let's just segue into your book because I think this is a perfect opportunity to segue into your book. So again, the book is called Money Honey, a simple seven-step guide for getting your financial shit together. And it's really an irreverent and sort of fun, humorous look at uh, an important topic, a crucial topic in life, you know, finances and money. And I love the style that you use in the book. It's designed to be fun and entertaining to read. And I, it really is great, particularly for the audience of Cutco people who are predominantly younger. Like the fundamentals in here are really sound and really important ideas. What led you into writing the book? Yeah. So all my friends and family were coming to me for financial advice throughout college, the years after college. And I got to thinking, you know, most of these questions you can Google or find books about. And don't get me wrong, I love helping people. So I was super flattered that my friends and family trusted me enough to advise them. But that's kind of when I saw the opportunity. Most resources about money management are boring, complex, intimidating. So I thought, how can I make money more fun to learn about, more accessible to people that are young and that are my age? Mm -hmm. So that's where I came up with this idea of having a really funny and sarcastic book about money. And it has really resonated with people. It's done really well. Females, millennials, college students, those are kind of my target audiences. And I've gotten a lot of really great feedback. Yeah. What are some of the uh, key principles in the book that you want to share today? Yeah. So my book has been out for almost exactly two years now. I've received a lot of feedback over time. And there are two areas that my readers tell me have really helped them. The first is the area about investing. And then second is about savings. But investing, you know, the biggest lesson that someone can walk away with today is don't wait to start investing. Okay. That's normally the biggest mistake people make. The most common reason my friends or people that I know tell me about why they don't invest is because it's intimidating and they don't know how, which totally fair point because we're never taught this stuff. Um, But time though is your biggest advantage when it comes to investing, the advantage of time. So take a 35-year-old who invests $100 a month at a 10% return until she's 65. She'll have about $217,000. But take a 25-year-old who does the exact same thing 
The only difference is they start 10 years earlier. The 25-year-old will have almost $600,000 when they're 65. So that's more than double what the 35-year-old did. So don't wait. Start investing today. Even if you don't pick the best investments and you're not confident in your investing, you will still be better off than an expert investor who waits 10 years from now. So that's one of the biggest mm. lessons learned. Start investing when you're young. And my book goes into you know all the details about how to invest with screenshots and everything. The other big takeaway is the saving strategy that I go through. So there's a problem when we think about our savings. The problem is that we have all these different savings goals. Sometimes we're saving for a car repair next week, or we're saving for a trip next month, or for a down payment on a house or for retirement. So it's confusing. It's sort of like someone standing at the stove with four different burners going. It's just way too much to focus on at one time. So that's where my savings buckets come into place. And people have really loved these savings buckets. I have four savings buckets and they're based on the timing of what you're saving for. So bucket number one is for emergency savings. And it should always have $1,000, at least $1,000. Because that's for when, not if, you have an emergency. Right. Bucket number two is for medium-term savings. So that's things you're saving for within the next 12 months. That could be a vacation. That could be a flight home for the holidays. For a college student, it might be upcoming tuition payment or books, stuff like that. Um, So you total those up, everything you're saving for within the next 12 months. And that's how much you want to have in bucket number two. Bucket number three is for long-term savings. So anything over that's more than 12 months away, but before retirement. And that normally has your bigger ticket items like an engagement ring or a wedding or your kid's college education. And then finally, bucket number four is for retirement. And that's the only one I don't put an amount on because it's honestly such a wild guess how much you're going to need, but you should always be contributing. Even if it's only $30 a month, you should always be contributing to bucket number four. Otherwise though, you'll fill up the buckets consecutively. Bucket number one, then two, and then three. So that is the concept of the four savings buckets. Yeah, that's great. That's great. When you think about the last bucket of retirement, I've always told young people to Think about it in terms of the increments, right? First, you want to get your first ten thousand in there, and then you'll a milestone will be when you get that to a hundred thousand, and then another milestone will be when you get that to two hundred and fifty thousand. And that if you can start getting those early increments to happen, you know, if somebody gets ten thousand into their retirement bucket in their early twenties, they're already on track to be able to have a million in that bucket when they're a little bit older, mm-hmm. or when they're you know when they're in their you know fifties or sixties. And so getting that first 10,000 and then, then people ultimately get that to the 100K mark, you know, if they're, if they get the first 10K and they're in their early 20s, they're going to, and they keep adding, they're going to get to their 100K mark probably before they're 30. And some people will think, well, geez, what, that's not enough. Like what, 100K, like how am I going to retire on 100K? You know, but it, it accumulates, right? And it accumulates yes. fast over time. The, the law of 72, which I know you're familiar with, of course, basic financial principle that we all teach. And that eventually people can get to a million dollars in their retirement account. And that that should be a goal that a lot of our young people have is, you know, can you get a million dollars in your retirement account? And if somebody has a, it's, you're not going to be rich if you have a million dollars in your retirement account, but you're going to be able to live comfortably if you have that. Somebody that has that today, if a person today is, you know, 60 and they have a million dollars in their retirement account and they have it 
you know, fairly conservatively invested at a 6% return, let's say, they're making $60,000 a year or $5,000 a month from their money making money without touching the principal. And, you know, if they're 60 and presumably their house is paid off by that point and they're making 5K a month, like you can live pretty comfortably in most places on that. Exactly. Yeah. And, that, and that's it, the whole idea for a lot of young people is being able to get to that stage. Yep. And you're touching on another passive income stream, which is portfolio income. And it's the best because it's literally your money is making money for you. And it's the only passive income stream that's a hundred percent hands off. But when you get to that point and you have that capital and you can draw 60 grand a year, I mean, that's really where you want to be. That's ideal. Yeah. And I advocate kind of a balanced approach of investing, which is some combination of market investing, mutual fund investing, and real estate investing as well. So that's been the approach I've taken, you know, year in and year out. I've always maxed out my opportunities for tax deferred savings, like a SEP or a Roth 401k, all of these types of things. I've always tried to max those out year in and year out. But then I've also saved in to accumulate for real estate purchases and have been able over time to accumulate real estate purchases as well. So like you own five properties now, mine are not multi family, you know, apartment complexes, but they are certainly high dollar California priced real estate. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, a couple of them are two units and a couple of them are one. So, but, awesome. uh, but that's been the way that I've been able to, to follow the, the steps that you teach as well. So, yeah, I think real estate is just such an important tool for building long-term wealth. So I really think young people should try to make work their way towards owning rental property. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, the, the biggest advantage with real estate is the leverage, right? It's like, if I want to put 500000 into the bank, I got to have 500000 If I want to buy a $500,000 property, I can do it with fifty or 100000 mm-hmm. And you know, with that down payment, I'm now controlling the entire $500,000 property. And as that property appreciates, my return is uh, much larger than it would be by having that 500k someplace else so or 100k or 200k you know i tend to speak in terms of prices that i'm used to out here <laughs> but that's something that people can do that, that you met, you referenced earlier you know somebody can get a $100,000 property with 10 or 20k down and be able to begin that process so you know you speak to young people regularly i know you're speaking at an event later on this year uh, we're going to be teaching young people about this. And, and what advice would you have is if a young person says, well, you know, how do I start? What's, what are the steps? Like, give me the insights on how I can be like you in the coming years. What advice would you give? Yes. The first step is master the basics, master the basics of money management, you know, budgeting, savings, debt payoff, investing. If someone wants to make a big step in the right direction today, I would say start with credit card debt. If you have credit card debt, that is absolutely the biggest thing hurting you right now. So if you want to take a step in the right direction, start paying that off as aggressively as possible. There are a lot of debt payoff strategies out there. You know, I talk about it in my book. There's also Dave Ramsey's snowball method, but I'll let you in on a little secret. The best strategy is the one that works for you. So come up with a plan, get aggressive and get out of credit card debt first and foremost. Another tip that people can take into account. When it comes to budgeting, a lot of us focus on how do I cut my expenses? How do I decrease my expenses and cut back? So we'll think about, okay, I'm going to eat out less. I'm going to spend less money. I'm not going to go shopping. But that's only half of the equation. 
you can also focus on increasing your income. Mm -hmm. And increasing your income is even more effective because there's no limit on how much you can make. You know, you can only decrease your expenses so much. It's not like you can stop paying your mortgage or negotiate your car payment, but increasing your income is unlimited. So if you really want to make some significant financial progress, find a way to make more money because every extra dollar you make is another dollar towards debt payoff or another dollar towards savings or another dollar towards buying your future investment property. That is such a great point. And it it really, it speaks to people having an understanding of their longer term vision. Where do they want to be in five years or 10 years? Because if you have an understanding of that, then it's easier to make decisions today that will help move you in that direction. Like, for example, you know, somebody doing something in the, a side hustle, right? Mm-hmm. Doing a Uber or Lyft or something, you know, where you have a side hustle that's making you a few extra dollars and you're doing that three hours a day for four days a week versus spending that same 12 hours wasting time doing something that isn't adding value to your life. And if somebody understands, well, if I do this for 12 hours a week, this is what it can help me to do to, you know, where it can help me to be in five years or 10 years, then they realize why it's important to do it versus, you know, wasting the time. So I think, I think it's important to help people establish that vision of where they want to be. And for someone to be able to listen to this and to hear a 27 year old who has been able to accumulate, you know, a $10,000 a month passive income doesn't have to work, right? You can work when you want, you can do what you want, you can live where you want, and you've got this built up. And that passive income is only going to get higher. It's not going to go in reverse. Like that is a great vision for people to be able to see. You don't have to accomplish it by the time you're 27. If somebody's listening to this and they're like intimidated by the fact that Rachel accomplished this in seven years after college, take 10, take 15, take 20, but just move in the right direction to be able to get to that point of financial independence because it's an amazing place to be when you know that you're working because you want to, not because you have to. And the stresses of the you know finances in your life are far less you know, when you've put yourself in a position like you've been able to put yourself in. So it's really cool. Thank you. I appreciate that. Any other input or uh, advice you'd want to give to young people? Let's see. So if there's one last tip, make sure you and your significant other are on the same page when it comes to money. So when I was a financial advisor, I worked with a lot of couples that had different views on money management. And that's not to say one person was right and one person was wrong. That's not what I'm saying. But the fact that they had conflicting opinions just made it more difficult for them. So one of the things my husband and I did before we got married is we had countless discussions about money. I mean, we talked about it until we were sick of talking about it. And that's a huge thing for anyone that's dating, engaged, married. Being on the same page with that other important person in your life is definitely crucial to your financial future. Yeah. If there are points of contention in that area, I think what can work is getting around people who have their shit together financially (laughs) because the more that you're exposed to people that have their shit together financially the more that you start to think you know maybe i should rethink this you know area of my my thought processes and you know you you begin to move you know more in alignment i think if if you hang out around people that uh understand what they're doing and are on a good path that's one way i think that you can kind of move your significant other in a positive direction if there is some sort of contention. So yes, I agree. 
Yeah. Well, Rachel, the, you know, the podcast is uh, about changing lives and I'm interested in hearing as we wrap up here, you know, when you look into the future, the next five, 10 years, how do you aspire to change people's lives through your work or through your influence? Oh, I love this question. I truly believe there's an epidemic in America and it is lack of financial education because at no point in our educational system are we taught about money management. And I think that is a big mistake. We're not taught in high school, middle school, college. Sometimes our parents teach us, sometimes they don't. There's a meme that I love and that I reference a lot. And it says, I'm so glad I learned about parallelograms instead of how to do taxes. It's really come in handy this parallelogram season. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen Um, that one. Yes, it's great. So if I can continue to make finance fun and easy to learn about, that's how I want to change people's lives. I have another book coming out this year. It's about passive income and how I've done what I'm doing. And I'm doing more and more public speaking at colleges, which is so cool. So I hope to continue to find ways to get in front of high school and college students because my message is so important to learn from a young age. Yeah, no doubt. It really is. And I couldn't agree with you more. I think that uh, we might have just pissed off any geometry teachers that are listening to uh, <laughs> this podcast. But I so agree with you that uh, the ideas that you share in your book, the concepts we've talked about today, every young person needs to hear this stuff and needs to at least begin implementing this stuff at an early age so that at the very least, people aren't going backwards in their 20s and 30s, which so many people do. They're, they're just going backwards. And if somebody can just be nudging themselves forward, even if it's not taking leaps and bounds forward, if they can learn how to move themselves forward financially, that the curve does steepen and does become more and more exciting. And that uh, by the time somebody is 50 or 60, virtually anybody can put themselves in a position where they're at least financially independent. If not being rich, they're at least financially independent and secure. And that's a position everybody should get to be in. So Rachel, thank you so much for your time and your input on uh, today's uh, conversation. I've enjoyed this. I think there's been a lot of good value has come out of this. And I really appreciate having you here. Thanks so much, Dan. And what you're doing with this podcast for the Cutco community is so valuable. So thank you for doing this. Thank you for having me on. This has been a lot of fun. Fantastic. Thank you. Rachel Richards, everyone, the author of Money Honey. Really good stuff in there. You know, first off, sharing some of her Cutco lessons and the idea of good days and bad days not taking things personally, just being able to develop a lot more of an even keel emotional response to the typical ups and downs of life. The importance of standing out, Rachel talked about as a young person and how she was able to do that through her Cutco experience. The idea that Rachel graduated debt-free from college is really an important point in and of itself in this episode that I want to make sure does not escape most people. Because I can remember sitting down with a Cutco rep of mine and he wanted some help with some finances and getting his act together financially. This is shortly after he had graduated. And I said, uh, how much student loans do you have? And he said, $105,000 of student debt that he had accumulated to go to college. And I remember like being stunned, like, how can you have a six-figure debt just to go to college, like you're starting out a hundred thousand in the negative. How is that a good deal for anyone? And this was not to go to you know Harvard or Stanford. 
I mean, it was a good school, but it wasn't to go to Harvard or Stanford. And so, you know, his earning potential was not necessarily going to be some giant number right out of the gate because he had taken on this 100K debt. And I just felt like that was a terrible thing to do and that students need to be finding a way to make sure they're not biting off more they can chew. That might begin with selection of your college. Maybe it means you go to JC for a couple of years and then transfer um, to a uh, four-year school for the last couple of years uh, to a more expensive school. And maybe it means you work during your college years to be able to earn. Take five years and work so that you can be able to you know, pay your way through versus trying to do it quicker and dig debt. So the whole idea that digging debt as a student is not good. If you're a student listening to this, take that to heart. If you're a parent listening to this, think about that when your kids get to that stage and how can we help them to avoid that. The paradigm about savings that Rachel talked about, the mentality about savings is so critical. Almost everyone that I've ever worked with and counseled financially has a somewhat warped point of view about what they can and can't afford. They think if they make you know, $80,000, they can spend $80,000. And doing that is putting yourself in a hamster wheel. You have to learn to live on less than what you're earning. And ultimately, you have to learn to live on something along the lines of 70% of what you're earning and being able to save 30%. That sort of paradigm, if you can start with that early on, it can help you as the amounts get bigger and bigger. Eliminating credit card debt, avoiding credit card debt. The idea Rachel shared about you can spend less or you can earn more. Doing both is probably important, but earning more is the easy way. Increasing your skills in the marketplace to be able to put you in position to earn more is critical. The buckets of savings that Rachel talked about really helps you understand why you need the amounts to be bigger, why you need the percentage to be bigger when you think about those four buckets. You realize that, shoot, if I'm only saving 10% of my income, that's not enough to fill these four buckets, right? I got to be able to fill all four and I need to save a higher percentage. And of course, Rachel was spot on. The lack of financial education that young people have is so true. If you're in Vector, you're really lucky that you have financial education. I've got a relatively short video, like 20 minutes or so on Vector Connect that you can go listen to that's part of the Leadership Academy series. Go check that out. You can watch. And uh, of course, there's a lot of great books and a lot of great mentors that can help you as well, whether you're in or out of the Vector Cutco organization. Just want to end by saying, you know, it's not all about money in life, but having financial security gives you peace of mind. And that peace of mind makes every other area of your life easier to enjoy and better. It's worth mastering this area and executing well when it comes to saving and investing. Hope you enjoyed today. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. And if you want access to today's show notes, including links to any resources mentioned, visit changinglivespodcast.com. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. I'll catch you back here in a few days for our next story about changing lives.